1: And that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Sports Talk in New York. I am your host, Rob Kramer. Thank you for joining me here. I'm, I'll be with you here for tonight for two full hours, from eight to ten p.m. We've got a couple of great guests lined up for you tonight. As we'll be kicking off the show in just a moment with uh, former Jets quarterback Ken O'Brien, definitely on the Mount Rushmore of Jets quarterbacks. Um, we'll be having uh, a little later in this hour. We'll be having NFL writer for the uh, for the New York Daily News. Pat Leonard, to come on and talk a little NFL playoffs. And in the next hour, we'll be getting into a little Mets hot stove with uh, Newsday's own Tim Healy. So thanks for sticking around here uh, with me on this beautiful Sunday night as it's Championship Sunday here uh, in the NFL. And uh, why keep him waiting any longer? Uh, we got Ken O'Brien on the line, former Jets quarterback. Uh, Ken, how are you doing tonight?
2: Good hey, evening, Rob. Thanks for having me out. Yeah, looking forward to... Uh... Talking to you and see what's going on back east in Berwick. I, I haven't been in Merrick in a while. I Have a lot of good friends in Merrick, so uh, it'll be fun. Uh, I'm smiling ever since I heard the location.
1: <laughs> oh well, I appreciate that, Ken. And I also appreciate you taking your time, uh, spending it here with me on this Sunday night. As uh, you know, there's uh, there's always, especially in beautiful California. I'm sure you've got uh, plenty of other things to be doing uh, on a uh, Sunday night like this. <laughs>
2: Uh, so, well, you know what? Sunday is just probably what you guys are just watching the ball game. And so we're getting close to halftime. So, uh, first game was a really good game and, uh, and this one's turning into be a sh- bit of a shootout. But, uh, it'll be interesting to see how, who comes out of it with the winner and get ready for the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks.
1: Exactly. So I, so just like everybody else, you've been watching the games all day. And, uh, you know, what I, be, you know, before we get into your great career and uh, everything with the Jets, uh, I just was wondering, you know, Watching this game today, uh, specifically the, the NFC championship game between Green Bay and Tampa Bay, we saw Tom Brady today and this guy at 43 years of age still looks like to be in prime condition. He's heading to his 10th Super Bowl, which just seems mind numbing (laughs) at this point to keep, uh, that he keeps adding to his resume. Did, you know, at any point today, did you sit back and just marvel at the fact that this 43 year old guy is taking yet another team to a Super Bowl?
2: I, uh, I've been doing it for years and, uh, it's just, it's just really amazing. Uh, you know, he, you can say what you want. He was in a great situation in New England, uh, with, with a great scheme on offense and defense. But I think when you have the success he's had and you know, the stars line up perfectly for him, he has a guy like Bruce Arians who's going to let him come in and, and do what he does when they get comfortable with each other. And I think as they got more comfortable during the year, he kind of delegated more and said, "Let's just let's let it go because the guys in the team are responding to him and uh, and he's kind of willing them, showing them the way. Uh, you know, he didn't have. I I would bet if you talked to him, he didn't have his greatest game in the world today. Uh, the the yeah. interceptions just and, and they weren't all his fault either. I think mm. there was a little uh, miscommunication there. However. Uh, he won't be happy with those, so there's still a lot of room for improvement. And uh, he, at 43, to be doing what he's doing is, is amazing. No one's as physically gifted as he was when he was 23, certainly, but uh, his mind's working better than ever. And uh, and more importantly, he has the confidence of all the guys on the team. They believe in him, and there's no question about it. And I think that's what uh, gets these guys over the hump.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And especially, you know, just like you said, he had his his, his moments today where he had – three interceptions, you know, he, he had a day where he threw three touchdowns. He also had three interceptions. So, but you know what, when you come out at the end of the day with the victory and the thing that really blew me away was at the end of the first half, when he just reared back and threw that touchdown in the corner to, to make, to put them up 21 to 10, that really just almost knocked me over. What a, a, a fantastic pass that was.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was an awesome play. It was uh really poor shoddy defense uh you know how, how you can let that happen right before the half uh i think aaron uh, rogers is still wondering how that let you know you're probably thinking just give me a chance to, to make a play like that uh in that situation but the one thing you can not do is get beat beat behind you in the last couple seconds of the half or a game it's uh inexcusable
1: very true very true and you know i just want to one more thing about that game um, you know, at the end of the game, they had Aaron Rodgers, uh, in, you know, third and goal. They, they don't get it. They opt to take the field goal to make it 31-26. What did you think of that? I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. He's a, a, a first ballot Hall of Famer slam dunk. And, you know, you have him in this position with a, a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Uh, what did you think of opting to kick the field goal there instead of leaving it in Aaron Rodgers' hands?
2: Well, you know what? I, I don't, you know, I, I don't second guess uh, that stuff usually, but I will tell you that I was watching the game and when it happened, uh, I couldn't believe that they didn't do it. I, I thought I had missed something. I thought maybe there was more time left in the game than there was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you needed two touchdowns at that point regardless, so you might as well, have, you needed a touchdown at that point. You needed eight points. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, I'm not sure why. I don't know what the reasoning was behind it, but I would have went for the touchdown uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, you know, with uh, Aaron Rodgers and everything else. But uh, more importantly, you needed eight points and, uh, you know, you you have one down and I, you know, I, I would, if I'm putting the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, I'm feeling pretty good about my chances right there.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And then you really couldn't blame it if you didn't make it because just like you said, you're putting the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, so <laughs> You know, yeah, a, and
2: then you're getting it back again. Then they're getting the ball <laughs> down there in, in you know, tough field position. If you can stop them, you get the ball back a little bit sooner and, and you have another shot at it. But,
1: uh, you know, it, it
2: all happens. And, and why? They, Green Bay had their chances. They had chances to come back and do it. It just didn't work out for them.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And even though they came up a little bit short, still had a great year nonetheless. And, uh, you they know,
2: really did, yeah.
1: when we're talking about, you know, big time passing moments and and coming through with with big years and everything. You know something about that as you're a former first round pick, you were in that that amazing really if you really look back at it and crunch all the numbers, one of the best quarterback drafts in the history of the NFL in 1983. You were picked 24th by the Jets. You know, one thing I'm wondering too is uh you know a lot of people tend to think before that mid-80s resurgence uh that that the Jets were still, you know, a, a you know, pretty bad team. But when you were coming into the Jets, uh, you know, they they were coming right out of an AFC championship game appearance. So what was your familiarity with the Jets at, at that point? And how were you, uh, like, what were your expectations coming into that first season?
2: Hey, well, Rob, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, I was born in New York. My mom, uh, my dad, all the relatives are, all my uncles are New York city cops. Uh,
1: my cousins
2: live on Long Island, uh, right in Lynbrook and uh, you know and all over the place and all throughout New York. So uh, I've always been—I was always a Jets fan. You know, when when mm-hmm. my we'd go back and visit when we were kids, uh, my uncles would take us out to go check out the Mets and go go to Jet practice. So I met Joe Namath when I was just a little kid back oh, wow. there, and and it always stuck with me. So it was it was pretty awesome and surreal to come back at the end of the day and. And be be back in New York and uh, have a chance to catch up with relatives that you know when you're all the way across the country you don't get a chance to see uh, at all, let alone often. And uh, now it was it was it was for me it was an, an awesome time. It was a great situation and uh, and the team was good. Like you you mentioned, uh, they had played really well. Richard Todd was the quarterback who became a good friend. It was a great player. And my expectations were to come there and uh, see how I fit in. You know, just, uh, you know, what they wanted me to do and see how I fit in. And it, it, it took a year or two. We started playing and, and, you know, you just get moving. That's all. But, uh, made a lot of great friends over the, you know, the 10 years in New York. Uh, those relationships last you the lifetime. So it, it's, it's a pretty special time.
1: No doubt about that, especially coming up as a lifetime Jet fan, you know. Did it mean something to you to play, uh, well, even though I know in the 83 season that, uh, that Todd started all those games, you didn't appear in a game until 84. But did it mean something to you to be part of that Jets team that was the last Jets team to play at Shea Stadium before you moved into the, the 84 uh, season into, into Giant Stadium? Because for, for a lot of Jet fans, the nostalgia of them playing in, uh, at, you know, at Shea Stadium and everything is through the roof.
2: Uh, you know, and, and I agree with it. I mean, I, I'm, you know, that's where the, you practice. That's where home is for all the guys. That's where home was for all the guys on the team. And, and that's where the the fan base was from. And, uh, you, you know, it's out of, it's certainly out of the players hands, but, uh, I certainly do wish that we would have never left Shea stadium and, and, you know, figured that thing out because, uh, or stayed in the area, it would have been, uh, it would have been a much more awesome experience, uh, as a player, as a fan is everything to have your own place, uh, going to the Meadowlands, uh, you know, certainly shifted, uh, a, a bit of that as you look back on it. But, uh, it, it was, I, I, that one year at Shea, I, I loved everything about it. I, I loved the, the whole atmosphere there. and It was different. I, I, you know, it's hard to feel that in the metal lands.
1: I agree. I agree. And, and just, you know, I'm, I'm a younger Jets fan and, just having seen the old clips of them playing, you know, the 81 playoffs at, at Shea, uh, you know, and the, the 82 playoffs and, and even the earlier stuff with, uh, with obviously Namath and everything, uh, in 68 and 69, you know, I love seeing those old Jets Shea Stadium playoff games and just games in general. Uh, it's, it, it really makes, you know, it's, it's really something that I really love from a historical aspect. And and just like you said, it's it's uh, something that really hits home close to, to, to a lot of Jet fans, especially in this Long Island area. Yeah,
2: uh, you know, it, it's nothing like playing in your own backyard where, where people don't have to travel an hour or two hours each way to get to the game. And uh, as far as playing the game, when you're playing it on natural grass, when on real earth, it's just so much different than playing it on on you know the AstroTurf. Now it, it's it's a lot nicer than it was then. It, it's not a carpet thrown over concrete like it was in the Meadowlands, but yeah. uh, just playing on playing on grass and seeing you know the mud and the dirt and uh, everything else that comes with the inclement weather. It was uh, it was a special time, and uh, I wish I wish we had we had stayed there for uh, forever, really, and kept playing.
1: Yeah, that would have been amazing, but it was not to be. But what was to be was <laughs> that you were going to be one of the uh, you know the the Jets starting quarterback. Before you know it, I mean, uh, obviously uh, Walton really. Um, you know he was the offensive coordinator he comes in he gets promoted to, to head coach uh you know the first couple of years you know nothing really happens but as soon as they install you in in 84 what did it mean to you to at the end of that season get that starting quarterbacks job and and actually uh, to, to add on to that do you think it helped you as a quarterback that that you sat for that first year and a half or so and and got to learn behind guys like richard todd and and you know did, did, did that help you at, at you know at all
2: well, let's see. Uh, I, I think Joe, uh, first of all, was a really, really great offensive coordinator. And I think what they, when they ran into they ran into an issue with Walt Michaels, who um, I didn't know Walt Michaels, but when I heard guys in the team speak about him, the veterans who who became my friends and the, the respect and the admiration and the loyalty they had for him after the fact. Um, it was telling why they were good and, and how he brought that out in him. I, I think he was able to coach the way, you know, I perceive coaching to be you, you know, you tell them, this is how we're going to do it. And you give the guys confidence all the time. Let's go out and let it rip. And players respond to that. And uh, when he left, when, you know, when when they made the decision that Walt was not going to be back there coaching uh, Joe was on the staff and they brought him in obviously. And, and he had to get acclimated to being a head coach. That's all. Uh, and it's hard to, I think it's hard, especially in today's game to do both to run an offense or run a defense. You got to be more of a, uh, overseer CEO of everything and make sure everybody's doing things the way you want. And you know, you're, you are, you're the one that everybody takes their cue from. So, uh, you take the coach's personality on, uh, on the field. And, uh, you can see that with guys today like Andy Reid um and how they respond to him and and go down go down a list of all the successful teams and i think that's what you're kind of looking for and it's you know it's a, for coaches too it's a learning curve and uh it's funny we're talking about it because the jets are going through that situation right now and uh, i was thinking about that before our call but i think there's something to be said for hiring young guys who haven't been through it uh, and let's see what they can do in in a, yeah, you know, I'm really interested to see what the new coach does because I've watched him in uh, San Francisco and, and prior and, and heard all the good things and heard the guys in the team speak about him in high regard. So, uh, I, I think they, I think they hit a home run here and I think he's going to be a special guy
1: for them. I totally agree. I, I loved his his uh, his introductory press conference. I thought he hit a home run, which, you know, you can do and, uh, you know, it, it, it really satiates a fan base that really, uh, Really didn't warm up to the hiring of Gates, and then once uh, you know we saw the product on the field, a lot of fans just uh, really uh, couldn't take it any longer. But then you see uh, this guy <laughs> coming in from from the Niners, and he just has a personality that really just grabs you. And I I totally agree. I think hiring these young guys, and you know guys that we've seen start off young, like like Belichick when he was be, became a head coach right after leaving the Giants, and even a guy that you're familiar with, Pete Carroll. Who was your former, you know, defensive coordinator at the Jets, and then you even went on to work later with him in the UFC uh, in uh, in USC. I think that uh, they both really fit the mold of a CEO type coach, and I'd love to see uh, Coach Salah have, you know, an impact like that.
2: Yeah, I, I think that you know they have. They have a lot of draft choices. They, they need from, you know, I'm not an expert on it. I, I love watching them and, and rooting for them and I like rooting for Sam, uh, Darnold and, and the team playing, but they need, they need to, uh, upgrade my opinion only the talent level there so that, uh, so that, so they can compete on not only, uh, every season, every game, but every play that they know that they have guys that are going to win. Uh, on every play and those special kind of players and, and I think that's what you're shooting for now so you have to be able to evaluate that kind of talent get it in the building and develop it when it's there and you have to do, how you develop it is is up to the coaches you know my my, my two cents isn't going to matter much to them but if you have the right guys there and you make them believe they can play they'll play for you they're all really really good players all they need is a little direction
1: I couldn't agree more and you know when, you know you mentioned Sam before and'm I'm, I'm a big fan of Sam I, I I think that you know just like you said it's part of the reason that a lot of the talent around him really hasn't been up to par but you know as a, as a guy who spent the first year learning um as you know in the backup role uh you know before you got your first taste of starting action in 84 do you think it could have helped Sam to spend the first year in the bench maybe if they could have held on to Fitzpatrick for a year or two longer and had him learn under a uh, you know, a pro like that, do you think that could have helped him? Or do you think that, you know, him getting thrown right into the fire as a 20 year old uh, was really the right move to do for him?
2: Well, I, I, you know, I guess that's the, that's the big question, but I I think everybody's different. Some people can learn from, uh, you know, picking it up on the blackboard and and watching film and then going out and executing. Some people need to uh, practice it themselves uh, execute it before they can do it. And some people need to watch other people do it. So I think you have to make the best of the situation. If you're watching another guy, uh, you got to try to help him and learn w- along the way yourself. But uh, there's no substitute for playing. And, uh, when you play, when you're 20 years old and you're playing, you want to be with, you know, you want to be with a group that's, that's got the ability to help you get there. And, uh, if you're, if you're with a young team, a team that doesn't have, Maybe all the strengths that, that they're hoping to get in the future, then, uh, you know, it becomes tough because everybody's not on the same page. And as a young guy, you know, you're, you're fast, you know, you're, you're on a double time to try to make it happen, but everybody else has to be there already. And I think that's the tough part. If everybody else isn't there, um, it, it makes it really difficult to just to jump in there with a young guy because he doesn't know himself. But if uh, like when I was with the Jets, there a lot of guys around me were veteran guys, and and they helped me throughout me playing, and that was very very beneficial for me. They knew what they were doing, and just basically you know uh, they would if there was ever a question I could ask them, they could tell me what was going on. And when you're 20 and nobody's there to help you, it's a bit of an empty feeling. I would I would assume. So you really have to coach them up well, and and do what they do well, and and stay in their comfort zone, and. Uh, We'll see. We'll see what happens this year. We'll see what they, you know, what happens with the Jets, what they try to do at the quarterback position. And, uh, I know they have a lot of questions, but I still think very highly of Sam. And, uh, I just know that when, when not pressure, you put pressure on yourself to do well. You want to do well because you know everything's going on and, and you end up if, you know, when I see decisions, bad decisions being made, what I think are bad decisions from 5,000 miles away on television. Um, it just points to somebody who's not real comfortable and confident in everything that's going on. And, and you got to get back to that because I think he's got all the talent in the world. He's, he is a, he's a really good player and he's a young player still. So you got to take all that into consideration and and make your decisions. But I think his future is going to be really strong and bright where, uh, wherever it may be. And hopefully it's with the Jets.
1: Yeah, I, I really hope you're right, too, because I, I definitely have high hopes for Sam, whether it be here or not. You know, I know there's a lot of speculation right now uh, about potentially Deshaun Watson being available via trade. Who knows if that's even going to materialize or not. So, uh, you know, there's no reason to get your hopes up, uh, a guy that's not even, uh, you know, a, a realistic opportunity at this moment. But I really think that if uh, – You know, because just like you said too, Sam Darnold, really, to me, in a lot of these quarterback situations, it seems like the quarterback is the final piece that you should put in. But it seems like in Sam's situation, he was the first piece and there was really not much around him. Like for you, you came into a very good team at that point, like you said, and were able to to grow into that role and take a, a good team and make them better. Uh, I feel like almost Mark Sanchez came to the same situation when he was drafted in 2009. Now, things didn't really work out with Mark, but he came into a made team and took them to the championship game his first two years in the league. I feel like Sam, you know, maybe not might have had that success, but he has that potential to get, you know, results like that, like a, you know, like a Mark Sanchez did 10 or so years ago.
2: Yeah, Uh yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's all about it, it's all about how everybody comes together. You know, that's why football is so fun. There's, it's not one guy; it's everybody. And you have to, uh, you know, look at the look at Kansas City plan. How many receivers guys do they have that you know they can put the ball in four, or five, six different guys' hands, and they're going to make plays. And you know that that's why they're in the Super Bowl. That's why they won the Super Bowl last year. That's why they're in the championship game today. And all those teams are. I mean, you have. Uh, you look at the Packers today. Uh, although they lost, they're a great team. Aaron Rodgers is phenomenal, and he's got Devontae Adams, and he's got a couple of the receivers who nobody knew about, you know, two or three years ago, playing well, a tight end doing the same thing, and the running back. Everybody kind of elevates their game together, and, and that's what you have to build on. And those, and those are fun times, but you have to have the talent there to get it started. And uh, it takes everybody working, and it starts at the top.
1: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Very well said. And you know, uh as we're, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to take up too much of your time tonight. I really appreciate you, you taking the time here, Ken, to spend it with me here on this Sunday night, um, on Championship Sunday, as a matter of fact. But before I let you go, I just want, uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, uh, Week Three, 1986, one of the best, um, you know, NFL regular season games ever played. You guys took out the, uh, the Dolphins, 51 to 45 in overtime. Um you know when when you look at at this game and you think back to those moments I mean th- the stats really jump out at you to to me specifically I was looking at at Wesley Walker <laughs> in in that game you you hit Wesley Walker for 65 yard touchdown a 50 yard touchdown a 21 yard touchdown and a 43 yard touchdown to win it in overtime what was working so well for the offense that day and what made those games against the Dolphins so fun
2: well, if they'd have let me have thrown it five more times to Wesley, we probably would have five more touchdowns. <laughs> but he's uh, he's he was uh, a freakishly good player, and he's a great guy and a friend and a stud. And uh, I, I think that over that course of time, uh Joe had a feeling that any time you play the Dolphins, it would have to be a shootout, or you wouldn't win. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got away from. uh the more balanced style that, uh, that he was comfortable with. And we kind of just threw the ball. We threw it around and we'd get going. And uh, um, we kind of, we, we kind of just like uh, just let it, let it all fly. And, and when we did that, we were, you know, we seemed to be at our best all the time, but it wasn't something I guess that they were comfortable doing. Now in today's day of football, that's, that's an everyday game, right? I mean, <laughs> they're throwing the ball all over the field and, and it's great. You know, we're circling. Hey, here's Wesley Walker. Here's Altoon. Here's Mickey Schuler. Here's Freeman McNeil. How do we get the ball in our best player's hands? And then do it. However, however you have to do, make up ways to get your best play- players, the ball in their hands, to make plays for you. And in, in those days, it was more, okay, we're going to be balanced. We're going to run, blah, 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 you know, cloud of dust. And we're going to play action. And it was just a different philosophy. But uh, if you're a quarterback, there would be no better time to play football in right now because it is just uh it's wide open and they protect you when you're in the pocket you don't get hit late and hit cheap like you used to so uh it, it's an awesome time to play quarterback and i think that's why the games are so fun you know because you, it's always exciting there's always a chance you can come back and make something happen and uh i just love i love watching uh, games on tv from college whether high school college football, uh professional it's just a blast to watch it, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching the, the second half here tonight and then the Super Bowl in two weeks.
1: You got that right, Ken, and, uh, you know, we got, as you mentioned, the uh, the championship game, the AFC title game is at halftime right now. The Chiefs are up 21-12. I'll, I'll, I'll let you get back and enjoy it, but before I do, what's your pick for the uh, final tonight, and what do you think about the Super Bowl?
2: You know, uh, watching it tonight, uh I like to see change, and I like the kid at Buffalo, Josh Allen. He seems like an awesome, awesome kid and making plays. Uh, they're they're having a tough time stopping Kansas City now, and I think if you can't stop those guys, uh, you're in trouble. When you have all the weapons they have, so right now it looks like uh, Mahomes is is back, and as long as he's healthy with his head and his foot, I think they're going to be tough to stop in the second half. And then when you go to the Super Bowl. Um, Kansas City has, has the more talent, I, I think, but you wouldn't can't, how do you rule out Tom Brady? So it's going to be in a, a, a home game. You know, it's a crazy, it's a crazy concept, but, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against Tom for sure, but, uh, I, I think with, with Bruce there, Arians, it'll be an exciting game. No matter who gets in, the ball is going to be flying all over. You're going to have nice weather and big plays because there's a lot of playmakers on both sides of the ball.
1: Absolutely, Ken, you got that right. Well, thanks for taking the time to to spend here with me tonight. Uh, in, enjoy the second half, and I, I look forward to talking to you at some point in the future.
2: Well, thanks very much, and uh, you guys have a great night. Everyone stay healthy, and, uh, yeah, let's hope for another uh, great second half and, and a great Super Bowl in a couple weeks.
1: Thank you, Ken, you too.
2: Okay, thank you, guys.
1: Bye-bye. And uh all right uh, so thank you to uh to Ken O'Brien for joining me here tonight as uh definitely like I said before we took him on the Mount Ru- uh, on the Mount Rushmore of Jets quarterbacks as he is second only to Joe Namath in passing yards, touchdowns and wins uh one of the best of all time to do it in the green and white no doubt about it. And uh with that we're going to be taking our first break of the evening ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for sticking around here at me on this cold Sunday night. Um Thanks to Ken O'Brien one more time. And we're going to be getting on the other side of this break. We're going to be bringing on Pat Leonard uh, from the New York Daily News to break down the NFC and AOC title games and preview the Super Bowl. Thanks for sticking around. I'll be right back.
2: to sports talk new york tune in every
0: sunday night at 8 p.m on long island's wgbb broadcasting on 95.9 fm and twelve forty a.m or listen live online at wgbbradio.com country foot care official podiatrists of the new york
1: lizards have been delivering state-of-the-art foot care with good old-fashioned caring to long island residents for over 30 years Specialists in sports medicine and foot injuries, Country Foot Care can be reached at 516-741-FEET or online at
0: CountryFootCare.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At
1: WGBB Sports
0: Talk. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak, capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster today. <laughs>
2: You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGPB. And now, back to the show.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking around here. On uh this cold Sunday night right here in New York, as it's uh January twenty-fourth, twenty twenty-one. Uh we're here right after the uh the first break. Thanks for joining me here and sticking around. We're gonna be having Pat Leonard uh from the New York Daily News come on uh right now to talk about championship Sunday in the NFL. And Pat Leonard, how are you doing today? Hey Rob, hey, Rob very well, well, how are you? Uh very well. Thanks for taking the time tonight. A lot of fun things today. We saw Tom Brady advance to his 10th Super Bowl. Um, does this guy just keep blowing you away? Uh, I mean, 43 years old. He's still playing at such a high level. We saw that, that touchdown at the end of the first half that, you know, it, it didn't seal the deal as the, as the Packers would still have that one, uh, the, you know, those couple of drives to get themselves back into the game, but 21 to 10 at the half was a nice little cherry on top. How do you, like, are you still just marveling at Tom Brady? Cause I know I am. <laughs>
0: Um, I, you know, I think there's a little bit of both. I mean, on the one hand, you have to marvel at 43 years old, 10th Super Bowl, opportunity to win his seventh. I mean, the fact that the Bucks weren't even in the playoffs since 2007, they go back in his first year. Uh, he goes to the Super Bowl in his first year outside of New England. I mean, the debate of Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady, who's most responsible for that dynasty, you know, this guy has an incredible chapter to it. That said, I mean, the GOAT, should have been the goat in a loss in this game, right? I mean, he threw three straight interceptions in the second half. I mean, I I don't know exactly what the stats would be going back, but I can't imagine there's many QBs in the history of the league who have thrown interceptions on three straight possessions and still won the game. You know, I think he can thank Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett for that. And really, he can thank Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin for that. I mean, that was a great throw he made at the end of the first half to Scotty Miller there, but that is just, coaching malpractice by Mike Pettin calling a cover one robber there. It looks like a single high safety, leaving two linebackers down, not really doing anything in the play. And then Lafleur kicking that field goal in fourth and eighth. I mean, you know, Rodgers maybe could run for that touchdown on third, and that's his mistake. But I thought taking the ball out of one of the best quarterbacks of all time's hands and kicking a field goal there and giving it back to Tom Brady with about two minutes left in the game. I mean, you don't think Tom Brady, even though he had a bad second half, isn't going to keep the ball, run the clock out, and you're going to lose if you kick that field goal. So I guess what my answer to that would be Brady definitely deserves his due, but he certainly didn't play well enough to win this game. But he got some help. That's my feeling.
1: Yeah, he definitely got some help, no doubt about it. As Just like you said, I mean, three touchdowns, three interceptions, 280 yards. It's it's a bit of an up-and-down line. But, yeah, he, he definitely uh, got some help today as the, the defense stepped it up. And I could not believe personally that they kicked that field goal on, uh, on third, on fourth and goal there. I thought they were going to leave yeah. the ball in Rogers hands, but you know, it's, uh, you really, they still had three timeouts. Like I understand what he was thinking about, but I think he just kind of overthought it just a little bit much.
0: Yeah. I think the overthinking part of it is sometimes, and listen, you know, especially, well, he's been in the NFC title game before as a coach, but. You know, sometimes you overthink it in the moment and your nerves get to you. But if you sit back in July and you say, hey, if we're in the NFC title game with one down inside the 10 to possibly tie the game with a chance to go to the Super Bowl, are we going to kick a field goal or should we give Aaron Rodgers one more crack at it? So, you know, in July, you say, well, of course we're going for it. I mean, our quarterback Aaron Rodgers, you know, so why is the decision different in the moment? You know, why do every, does everything get tighter uh, when you're up against it there? You know, I think considering everything, considering who you have on the other side, too, the coaching part of it is is not just saying, hey, we still have a chance if we kick it. The coaching part of it is saying, well, even though we've picked this guy off three times, he's Tom Brady. You know, he's not nervous. You know, he's not, those three interceptions aren't going to make him nervous about coming out here and icing this game. So, you know, I think Lafleur is going to be, you know, Kyle Shanahan's a great coach, and he's going to be for the rest of his life attached to, A horrible second half in Atlanta that cost the Falcons the Super Bowl in one of the worst and arguably the worst collapse in NFL history. And I think LaFleur is going to be tied to this um, until he wins one too. You know, this is a decision that's going to haunt him for a while.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Um, You know, you kind of, especially at home, you you think he'd be going for the throat there. Um, But you know, I I totally agree. It's something that he's going to have to get over and probably won't. Until they, uh, until, you know, LaFleur and, uh, Rodgers win a Super Bowl together there, if they ever do. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just crazy what, uh, what happened in that game. Um, you know, just like we said, Brady had the up and down game. But I mean, now Tom Brady is, um, the, he's going to be the oldest player to ever play in the Super Bowl, which he's just going to keep knocking down these, uh, th- these records and etching his name to the record book even more so than we even thought. He's joining Peyton Manning, Kurt Warner, and Craig Morton as the only quarterback to start a a Super Bowl for multiple teams. So it it is just crazy to me. Uh, And then on the other side, as we got going on right now, coming out of halftime, uh, the Bills and the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl uh, champion Chiefs looking for a repeat, or at least to get to their second straight. Um, What are your feelings come into this game? Um, I I really thought that the Bills would have a good showing. I didn't think they were going to win. But, uh, hey, they're hanging in there. They're they're within nine points of uh, the, the best team in the league, and uh, they, they definitely have a, a, a fighter's chance in the second half.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought the Bills were going to win this game. I thought they had what it took offensively to hang with the Chiefs, and I wasn't sure that Mahomes would be healthy enough uh, to be the Pat Mahomes we know. Um, I think, you know, Josh Allen looked a little shell-shocked coming off the field at the end of the first half here. I mean, they're only touchdown offensively, uh, came off the muff, muff punt from Kansas City that gave them the ball inside the five. Uh, you know, I think Kansas City's been able to hold them at bay and and move the ball and get some big chunk plays. Kelsey's been killing them, you know, obviously one of the better players in the league. Um, and, you know, you're seeing in these games, too. I mean, you look at Brady and the Bucks scoring 31 points and winning. I mean, you look at the Chiefs, they had 21 points early in the third quarter. They had almost 250 yards at the half. I mean, offense wins. You know the old saying of offense wins, defense wins championships. You know that that only that maybe that maybe that was the old adage, and maybe sometimes it does apply. Uh, you know, you look at the Patriots a few years ago, shutting down the Rams, uh, holding them to three points in a thirteen-three win in the Super Bowl. So it's not like that can't happen that way. Uh, but we're looking at the playoffs right now. What we're seeing is that offense is ruling the day. And if you can't hang, if you're not ready to score thirty points on every given given day. Chances are that when you get into January, playing this football deep into the season, you're not going to be able to hang with the big boys nowadays. And you know, covering the Giants and doing a little bit of Jets now, and paying attention to a lot of New York football too. That's something I think about a lot watching these games. I mean, I was just looking; the Chiefs had almost two thousand more yards this season than the Giants, oh, um, wow. and it might be a full two thousand yards than the Jets, who were uh, the worst offense in the league yardage-wise and scoring-wise, and You know, you look at a stat like that, and if you're the Giants and the Jets, whatever, and you say to yourself, well, we have a different game plan for how we want to win games. Well, you're playing in the same league as these teams who are able to accomplish that type of offensive firepower. And so you should strive for that, too. And so that's something I have in the back of my mind watching all these games, too, is, you know, what are the Giants and the Jets trying to become, and how far are they away from it, and what pieces do they need to get there?
1: You know, that's a very good point. And actually, I was going to save this for a little bit later, but if... You know, since you brought it up, the the Jets right now, obviously they're in a transition. They 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 hired the new coach Robert Salah. It's been widely, uh, you know, applauded around the league. I think he uh, he really hit a home run in his press conference. Now there are a lot of rumors going around in the last few days that Deshaun Watson wants to get traded, um, and apparently the Jets are one of the teams at the top of his list. Do you think? That, uh, the Texans have the guts to trade Deshaun Watson and I guess the, the appetite for dead cap. And, uh, do you think that the Jets have the ability to pull something off like that?
0: Well, I don't think Nick Casario, the technical GM wants to trade Deshaun Watson. I mean, he's a smart football guy. He knows a great player when he sees one. And, you know, I don't think he wants to trade Deshaun Watson. There's no doubt about that, but. Um, you know, Watson clearly does not want to play there anymore, and it goes above Casario. You know, he doesn't trust the owner. He doesn't trust people that the owner trusts, including Jack Easterby. And it seems like it's beyond repair from a relationship standpoint. So, you know, the, the idea that he wants to play for the Jets, I don't know for certain that he definitely does over the Dolphins. Um, I know there were some reports disputing that Miami Herald report uh, I believe Matt Miller reported that, uh, you know, several people he had talked to said that that wasn't actually the case. There's a good chance here that a lot of these leaks are designed to drive the price up and create some leverage in these trades. Um, you know, if the Texans know that their best trade would be with the Dolphins, for example, maybe you create some in-division competition uh, with a team that also has priority assets and a high draft pick that could actually be legitimate competition if Watson were willing to waive his no-trade. So him having a no-trade clause is a big deal here. Um, you know, Florida, of course, no state in- income tax. That's a major deal. That's a huge attraction uh, for players wanting to go play down in Florida at a team like Miami. And the Dolphins, remember, if you're Deshaun Watson. If you come to the Jets, yeah, you'll make the team better, but there's no guarantee that you're going to compete for anything anytime soon as a team when you're talking about Super Bowls and playoff runs. But if you go to Miami, you saw a Dolphins team this year that suddenly, one year after tanking, suddenly was very close to a playoff berth and looked like a quarterback away from a playoff berth. And if they get in, you know, they have two top corners, they have a good coaching staff, a creative coaching staff, they could make noise. So I think Miami still is the most likely destination for him. I also don't think Tua is the guy, even though the Dolphins are saying he is. So, um, you know, I think we're going to see Deshaun Watson traded. But obviously what uh, what adds to that whole drama is that now he's the best quarterback who's available, but he's not the only quarterback who's available who is talented. So you talk about Matt Stafford, maybe Carson Wentz, even though it looks like the Eagles are trying to run it back. Sam Darnold is not a total lost cause um, and is still young and someone might want to take a chance. And some of these guys are going to, or all of those guys, are going to come a lot cheaper than Deshaun Watson. So how will that market affect where he goes? Um, ultimately, if you ask me how that's going to play out. I think he ends up with the Dolphins. But for play devil's advocate with the Jets, Woody Johnson coming back in the fold to me is huge. You know, you have a guy who hasn't been running the team the last four years. But now that he's back running the show, this is the guy who made the Brett Favre trade, who made the Tim Tebow trade. He likes big names. He likes splashy headlines. He likes big name quarterbacks. He knows that the quarterback drives the league. And so, you know, I wonder if there's any chance that's going to happen, even if Joe Douglas, Christopher Johnson, and Robert Sala aren't necessarily saying, "Hey, let's let's mortgage a bunch of picks in the future uh, for this one great player." I wonder if Woody being back turns out to be the deciding factor that forces a trade in that regard, because he really does have a history. Uh, of making deals like that to really kind of spice things up and accelerate the timeline with his organization.
1: I totally agree with you that the Woody factor is the biggest factor here from the, from the Jets standpoint. And, uh, so, but if we're just going to assume that let's say that, the, that for whatever reason, the Jets don't get to Sean Watson, say so he stays in Texans or he goes to Miami. Um, do you think that the Jets, if they're in this position, uh, go, I mean, they could really go three routes, just like you said. Matt Stafford is available. Do you think they trade for him? Do you think they stick with uh, Sam Darnold, or maybe go and take that second uh, overall pick and draft one of the available quarterbacks out there?
0: Personally, I think if 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 Watson's willing to play here, I think especially with Woody in the fold, that's a major consideration, mm-hmm. and it's something that you have to try to make happen while still saying, hey, like, can we can we still continue to build this roster into a talented and deep roster for the future if we make this deal? I think that has to be your number one priority if it's something you know he would like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I will say this, you know, coming out of the press conference, I know that there's reports that Sala and the new staff and Douglas, that they see, you know, some untapped potential in Donald. But there were early rumors that the, that Douglas and the Jets might make a big trade and trade Darnold out of town. And coming out of that press conference, if we're just taking Salah at his word, he did say that there were a lot of high opinions in the building of Darnold. But he would not even commit at this time to Darnold being his starting quarterback. And I thought that spoke volumes. You know, it did. It's not him saying that he thinks he's a bad player, but he definitely didn't endorse him as his guy. And this is something that matters in the NFL, too. Just like it matters, you know, if a coach isn't a GM's coach, it matters if a quarterback isn't a GM and a coach's quarterback. You know, coaches and QBs and GMs come in, and sometimes they, and oftentimes, actually, they have different opinions of players that the previous regime drafted. And so Darnold's deep enough into his career now where it would not be a shock at all if Joe Douglas, who didn't draft him, and Robert Sala, who didn't draft him, went and drafted a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields at number two, or tried to swing a deal for Deshaun Watson. I think you're looking at, you know, you have Trey Lance, Fields, and Wilson. I think whoever the Jets think is the best player in that group is the clear option at two, unless they make a trade for Watson. But I definitely think either way, they're looking to replace Darnold as the guy or at least bring in somebody who's going to compete with him and eventually take over unless Darnold would offend it off. But, um, you know, I, it would not shock me at all if Darnold was on another team and they drafted a kid at number
1: two. That's a great point, actually, about the, you know, how uh, Douglas and Salah both really had nothing to do with, with Darnold being here. And then even if you want to take that a step further, Woody Johnson wasn't even here when they picked uh, Sam Darnold. So it could be that all of Sam's biggest supporters are, you know, out of house right now, which could be uh, a couple of factors. You know, going against him, uh, in his Jets career. Um, but you know, to, to look at the other side of town, uh, what are your, your thoughts about the, the Giants coming out of this year? I think it was a, 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 good step forward for them. I think Joe Judge showed that, especially after that one and seven start that he kept, uh, he kept the locker room together. He kept the guys working for him. They were alive until the last day of the season. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the step forwards that, that the Giants took this year under Joe Judge?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think Judge showed a lot of encouraging things. I mean, I think he, I think he got players to buy into a defined program. I think what, you know, what you see is what you get with Judge. You know, he was a hard nose coach. He was hard on the players and on the team, but everybody knew what was expected. You know, there was no, there were no surprises, um, no change ups. And I think guys bought in and, you know, the positive is that you saw the team really bounce back from that horrible start and win those four straight games. Um, that said, you know, I think it only matters. And, you know, I should say, too, they made some really good acquisitions in the offseason. You know, Bradbury, Martinez, uh, Leonard Williams stepped up, had a big year. So those things are encouraging. And what Pac-Ram def- did with the defense, Logan Ryan was a good addition. That said, it's only good if you build on it because, you know, they still only won six games. Um I think people would have a much different taste in their mouths about the season if they were playing in any other division because it was a little bit of fool's gold thinking that they were still relevant because they were in the NFC East and they technically were. Mm-hmm. But if they were in any other division in football, they would have been out of it a long time prior to that, and the conversation would have been a lot different. So I don't think it's fair. To, I don't think we should judge them. That's kind of like results-based analysis. It's more about, okay, what do we see from the Giants? Why were they losing? And how can they get better? And when I look at them, I see they still need a lot more talent, even though they added some more. And they also need to really improve the offensive side of the ball. And I'm not just talking about talent. I'm talking about Daniel Jones has to play better. I'm talking about we still don't technically know if Jason Garrett is back for year two as offensive coordinator. Is he coming back? Is he still possibly going to land somewhere else? Uh, there's still a lot of staff in flux. If he does come back, can Daniel Jones be explosive in this offense? Do they have the chemistry and the wherewithal to make it work? Who is their O line coach going to be? There's some some uncertainty about Dave DeGuliemo, you know, and I know John Mara and the Giants are targeting playmakers on that side of the ball, but this is something I would add too. I know that they like Daniel Jones enough to give him a, a third year, but when a guy throws 11 touchdown passes in an NFL season, and you tell me that he had a good year. It's hard for me to, to understand that. Um, I watch him play a lot. He's got a lot of strong qualities. Um, he showed with his mobility and his leg that he can make plays. There are certainly enough qualities in Daniel Jones that show he might be the guy. But he definitely didn't show he was, even if he didn't show he absolutely isn't. And I guess my feeling is this. Maybe they wouldn't make the trade. Maybe Watson wouldn't want to play there. But I think it's insane that when people throw out you know a list of 12, 13, 14, 15 teams that might trade for Deshaun Watson, that, that the Giants aren't put on the list. Now, I know they have the 11th pick. They don't have the second pick like the Jets. They don't have a top-five pick like the Dolphins. So, obviously, maybe the package that they ship there uh, wouldn't be as strong. But they're a team that if they got Deshaun Watson, their quarterback position would go from so-so to great. So... I find it strange that there's not as much talk about that as a possibility. I don't know if the Giants have made that call or not. I don't know if Watson would want to come here or not. Because just like the Jets, the Giants are a team that is a long way away. Uh, but I guess that's my feeling there. I guess the, the lo- that's a long-winded answer, but I guess my <laughs> short answer to your question is there was some good that the Giants showed, but they're still far away. Um, and I find it interesting John Mara expects like a – A lot more wins, and you know, probably a playoff berth next season because this team this team still has a long way to go. I mean, they're still rebuilding; they're not close. That's my feeling.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's very true, and that's a very good point about the Giants too. And just like you said, they they're still not you know really that close to winning, but they're definitely closer than the Jets, and well, at least in my opinion. And if you put Watson on this team. They, you know, they might not be, you know, a top five team in the league. Maybe not even a top ten team in the league. But they'd be much closer to being on track to being an elite team again if you put Deshaun Watson there instead of Daniel Jones. And and I I don't have anything against Daniel Jones, but I mean, Watson's just that much of a difference maker.
0: Yeah, no, I think like the conversation would change about how many weapons they need. I mean, you know, you would see if Watson. Like if Watson were the Giants' quarterback this year instead of Daniel Jones, there wouldn't be as many complaints about their lack of weapons because he would have used the weapons better. Yeah. You know, he's just a better player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as as far as who's further ahead, the Jets or the Giants? I mean, obviously the Giants' defense took a huge step forward this year in how they were, in, you know, in how they were uh, in the talent that they added, and then what Pat Graham was able to do with that talent. But You know, their lack of offense and also they need to add more personnel on that side of the ball so they can play D the really, the way they want to. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they and the Jets are both there at the bottom of the table when you're talking about offensive production. And, you know, I think, I think the Giants are using some numbers at the end of the year to make things look a little rosier than they, than they really are. Um, you know, you can say, um, Uh, you know, they, you could say that they won a certain amount of games down the stretch. You know, they went one and three in December. Um, you know, so going one and three in December, but then stretching back to November when they were three and one and, and finding a way to, to say that you won, what was it? Five of the last time. I can't even remember now, but I'm not looking at it, but, um, (laughs) I think that the Giants math is affording them a way to look at this a little bit rosier than maybe they should. Um, you know, I guess, I guess the bottom line is this. I think that the Giants in several – in these years, I've covered them, I think, five years now. I think they were better this year at self-evaluating and knowing what was good and what wasn't, so where they need to get better, what's not good enough. And, uh, you know, they need to continue on that route. If they can continue to be honest about what's good and what isn't, then they'll continue to get better. But if they start telling themselves that players who aren't good enough are – then they're going to find themselves back where they were before.
1: Yeah, that, that's a that's a very good point. And, uh, you know, just to finish up on the Giants, though, I, I just want to ask you, you know, Dave Gettleman gets a lot of flack from, from Giants fans, and some of it's rightfully so, and, you know, he really doesn't get a lot of credit for, like you mentioned, picking up guys like Bradbury and Martinez this offseason that really helped take that defense to the, that next level you were talking about. And uh, so my my question is especially with with mara that you know what he was saying how you know maybe even expecting a playoff berth next year do they have to make the playoffs next year for gettleman to stick around or do you think that uh you know he's going to be given a little bit more leeway than that
0: yeah i got to tell you i mean you probably know my history but i've been very critical of gettleman and you know, I, I will continue to be, frankly, after he kept his job last year and this year, I don't know what would get him fired. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I think I think that you could rationalize keeping ever, anyone if you said, hey, well, we'll give him 10 years and see if we can get to the playoffs. I mean, you know, he ca- he came in and made things worse, uh, traded. He traded their number one receiver. Now they need one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, signed Golden Tate, Alec Tree, Nate Solder, drafted Saquon, uh, you know, I'm watching Josh Allen playing the AFC Championship game right now. You know, on and on. I'm not going to read that again at all, but you're right. I mean, certainly he was also a part of some really good signings this offseason. Um, I think once Joe Judge got in the building um, and this year's approach to free agency seemed to clearly year- yield better results than in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know all the exact inner workings of how that happened, uh, but definitely tapped off by... We do know that Judge's presence was, um, a, a huge draw for Logan Ryan. Um, you know, even though Dave Gettleman's the GM, I mean, that was basically a player who knew Joe Judge and felt comfortable and that hiring that coach who then brought this player in. Uh, so I think the coach seems to do, deserve credit for that signing, um, or at least partial credit. Um, you know, I think, I think if the Giants don't not only, you know, have a winning record, you know, playoffs, yes, I mean, I think Gettleman should have to make the playoffs. Um, I do think this is headed towards some sort of uh, transition. I don't know if it would be internal with Kevin Abrams or whether it would be external with somebody that they would match up with Judge. But I just found it very interesting that Judge and Rule were both hired at the same time in Carolina and New York. And so Matt Rule gets hired, and one year into his tenure of a rebuild, you know, they fire the old GM, they hire Scott Fitterer, and now they're kind of pairing a GM with a coach that they hope is going to be a long-term pairing. But the Giants went another route. They hired the young coach, they start the rebuild that should have started years ago, but then instead of firing the GM and kind of marrying the coach to a new GM and going forward from there, they've retained that former GM who was a part of a lot of those mistakes in the past You know, I find those two situations very interesting to compare as we go ahead into 2021 because they looked like two very similar situations. And, of course, Wool was the guy that the Giants were targeting in that previous hiring cycle. But now they're going about it two very different ways from a personnel and a general manager standpoint. And I'm just curious to see how it works out, how those relationships and those dynamics work out differently in New York and Carolina. And which one yields more consistency and results?
1: Yeah, very, very true. There's a lot of similarities between the two. And, uh, you know, only time will tell where we stand, uh, with, with those two and, uh, who ended up getting the better end of the deal. Uh, cause, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of parallels there, but, um, you know, Pat, I want to thank you for, for taking the time here. I'm, I'm running low on time, but before I get you out of here, I just want to, um, ask you, Do you think, uh, that the Chiefs hold on tonight or are you expecting a Bills comeback? And what do you think about the Super Bowl?
0: Oh, good question. (laughs) Um, you know, I think, I think watching, I think watching this game, the Chiefs look like they're too much offensively. I mean, I picked, I picked the Bills to win the game. I still think they can do it. So I'll stick with it. Uh, but so far the Chiefs have looked like a team that's been here before and the Bills look like a team that are feeling it out. That doesn't mean they won't get it done, but you know, they still haven't scored a touchdown that wasn't on a short field. So mm-hmm. at this point, it looks like the chiefs are going to hold on. And then, you know, in the super bowl, listen, I think, I think the bucks have a lot of good things going for them. Uh Good to see Jason Pierre Paul, by the way, back in the super bowl. But uh you know, I think that the chiefs have a better team, a better offense. They're so explosive. Um, you know, I mean, it, if Mahomes, if D4 doesn't jump off sides a couple years ago in the AFC title game, you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs are in three straight Super Bowls. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think, uh, we could be looking at a repeat. And I think, I think if Mahomes re- and the Chiefs repeat, it would be the first repeat since Brady's Patriots in 03 and 04, I think.
1: Absolutely. So, right. So,
0: um, I think that that would probably be my pick if we see that Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, the last time we even saw, uh, teams in back-to-back Super Bowls was when the Seahawks did it. And, uh, we all know how the, the Patriots dashed their hopes of back-to-back Super Bowl titles. Uh, but, uh, right. you know, uh, but, you know, Pat, uh, I, 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 agree with you on that though, but, uh, I, I gotta let you go. I, I really thank you for, for spending your time here at me tonight. And, uh, I definitely want to get you on again sometime.
0: You got it, Rob. would love to do that. Thanks
1: for having me. All right. Have a good night, Pat. And uh, that, that'll do it for the first hour here on Sports Talk 1240. And we'll be right back with the second hour and Tim Haley.
0: The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily
1: represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.